0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this series of interviews done by ARKIN Digital Health. I'm Nadav Shimoni. I'm leading digital health investments for ARKIN. In this series of interviews, we're going to bring leaders and seasoned executives coming from different parts of the U.S. healthcare system, hopefully to allow you, entrepreneurs, investors, and anyone trying to tap into the U.S. healthcare system to gain some insights, some value, some understanding how to do that better. In this episode, we have Dr. Amy Ebenethy with us. Dr. Abernethy is a physician with a diverse career, starting as an oncologist, thinking how to create novel treatments for her melanoma patients, then moving to Flatiron as the chief medical officer until its acquisition by Roche for almost $2 billion in 2018, then spending time in the FDA as the principal deputy commissioner, the second in command in this organization, and now in Verily, leading their clinical research business. We talked about the importance of the clinical role within digital health companies, especially as we hear growing demand these days for clinical evidence and how this function varies between different types of companies. We also discuss the changing regulatory landscape and how companies can be better prepared to cope with it. Let's get started. Dr. Amy Abernathy, what a pleasure having you with us. Thank you.
1: It's a delight to be here with you. Thanks.
0: I mean... It is. I, th- I think we will have such a diverse conversation. We have so much to cover. Uh, hopefully, we will be uh, efficient, but still, I mean, so many different questions I want to ask, but maybe we should start with your journey so far, and I'm, I'm trying to ask everyone here about kind of like a major point in his or her journey, one or two points that really influence you in a meaningful way. Maybe you can think of anything during your journey so far.
1: So many people say I've had an eclectic career. I ran a big research program at Duke University. I was the chief medical and chief scientific officer at Flatiron Health in New York City. I was the principal deputy commissioner at FDA and now I'm the president at Verily. And how in the world would one person want to do all of those things? But in fact, my story is very, very consistent and similar in terms of my why of what I've chosen to do across my career. I'm an oncologist by background. I took care of people with melanoma. And when I started taking care of melanoma patients, they were mostly in their 30s and 40s, often with brain mets and with not long to live. And yet on both sides of the walls of my clinics were laboratories where we were discovering new diagnostics, new vaccines for melanoma, new treatments. And the time it would take for new treatments to get to the people that really needed them was way longer than the people in, with Melano in my clinic had. And I really started focusing on this critical question, how do we get treatments to the people who need them as quickly as possible and making sure that those are real treatments that work and are adequately safe and effective? And if you look across my career, that has been my singular focus, my research program, The reason I went to Flatiron Health to try and figure out how we leverage the electronic health record, other data sources to speed the process up, going to FDA to try and figure out how do we really make the regulatory swim lanes as efficient as possible. And now at Verily, again, um, very focused on how do we develop new solutions for evidence generation to solve that very problem.
0: That's huge. I think you cannot underscore how important and how difficult it is right, to bring new treatments to the market. And and hopefully, I mean, we all together will find ways to do that. I think that's a formidable goal, no doubt.
1: Um, And, and, and
0: maybe, you know, a segue to a first question. I mean, y- you have served in leading clinical roles within different organizations. For example, the chief medical officer at Flatiron as uh, the president of the clinical research business at Verily. How do you see kind of like the clinical role within the digital health business? How do you see these teams function with other teams? Do some companies need that function earlier? I'm just curious to better understand that that role within digital health companies.
1: You know, it's a really interesting question. And when I took my original uh, chief medical officer role at, at Flatiron, I-, I must say it was pretty much an emerging concept at, at the time. There was obviously chief medical officers in biopharma um, and in medical devices, but the idea of health tech companies having CMOs who were leaders at the company was not necessarily always the case. Um, and it actually even led to my writing a paper together with Noel Augustine at Russell Reynolds on the CMO archetypes in health tech companies, because Between the time I started at Flatiron and, say, 2019, 2020, it became clear that this was becoming more and more of a common role in health tech companies. And I really worked with Noelle to identify a number of different what I called CMO archetypes. And and different digital health and health tech companies need different types of chief medical officers. Some digital health companies need a CMO that's largely a sales enabler, helps the company be... um, able to talk uh, to clinical professionals in a way that's credible and um, allows the company to get in and and, and have a credible voice. Um, Some companies need CMOs who are internal communicators, helps the product teams and engineering teams know what good looks like and make things clinically relevant. Sometimes the CMO is an external communicator. Um, The role of that kind of CMO is perhaps as thought leadership, or even a scientific leader. And then there's CMOs who are regulatory policy experts, um, or even CMOs who's a leader of leaders within the tech company. So for example, the CMO who leads the product work. It really is what's right for this particular digital health or health tech company. And as a founder, for example, of a digital health company, thinking about what it is that you need most in your company is gonna be critical to making sure that your chief medical officer just often a pretty expensive hire, is going yeah. to be um, maximally successful in your company. Um, and the other thing that I would say is all of those things, sales enablement, thought leadership, internal leader, external communicator, are very different skills. And so identifying the kind of physician who's going to have the 10x skills in the right space that you need for your company is really important. But don't assume that every physician has 10x skills in all of these different areas. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that I've seen across time that's really important um, uh, as you figure out what is your company need and how does this particular medical leader or potential medical leader pa- match your needs.
0: Wow, that's super interesting. In a way, just to make sure I understand, it's like having the right sales leader, I mean. For an early stage company, there is a different persona of a sales leader rather than for an earlier for a later stage company, and and companies working selling to large enterprises versus selling to smaller enterprises obviously require different sales competencies and so on. So if I'm hearing you correctly, having the right physician with uh, the pedigree that suits what your company does and what is the role what the role should provide, that's something worth keeping in mind.
1: Absolutely. And so, you know, in each of those archetypes, for example, sales leader, there's the right match, which is the sales leader who's, you know, best to hustle and help get in with early clients, right? Versus Mm -hmm. being able to sell to enterprise clients. And then the sales leader is likely very different than the internal expert, at a company that's helping, for example, your product teams understand what to build. Sometimes those might be the same person, but many times those are very different functions and figuring out what you need in your CMO most is gonna be really important.
0: Understood. And I think another part of the CMO role and the clinical perspective, we hear more and more about generating clinical evidence. I think this is something, you know, for us, acquainted with the healthcare industry before kind of like this digital health wave of the last couple of years is not a huge surprise, but still for digital health, some companies found ways to sell the product without pursuing this clinical evidence route. How do you see this trend affecting companies, affecting the CMO role within companies?
1: Oh, this is a really interesting question. and I honestly don't think Anybody has specifically ever asked me this in this way. So it's interesting to think about, Um, you know, so so first of all, especially digital health companies who have largely started off where the founders have largely kind of come from the consumer side or something outside of healthcare and now want to reapply their talents in the healthcare space. The idea of needing to develop clinical evidence, information that confirms that, a product performs as expected, including both safety and effectiveness, becomes, you know, really sort of a new concept. And it's really important in digital health, especially as you realize that digital health products are largely regulated products, and therefore there are regulatory expectations of the quality, the reliability of the clinical evidence that's being generated. And Also, that means that there are are fairly formalized approaches to how clinical evidence is generated, interpreted, and also communicated. And that looks quite different than, for example, A-B testing or what you might find in the more consumer space. I anticipate that for digital health companies going forward, that chief medical officer, the clinical expert role, is also going to be very important in this clinical evidence generation landscape in helping the company understand what clinical evidence might be needed, how to communicate that evidence confidently, how to make sure it's clinically relevant. But I kind of go back to my prior point about medical professionals. Not every medical professional is trained or has 10X skills in everything. So as a digital health company now needs to develop clinical evidence Of safety and effectiveness of their product, the chief medical officer may or may not be the person being able to give advice of exactly how to do that. And you may need to look towards external expertise, other regulatory experts who might be inside your company, et cetera.
0: So I think the regulatory angle is important to touch, especially given your, your former role with the FDA, but maybe with respect to generating evidence it might be interesting to learn more what you guys are doing at Verily. I mean, I think you have done such an impressive uh, progress in terms of the platform you are now offering. So perhaps um, hearing a bit more about your work at Verily uh, at this point would be good.
1: Thank you. What fun. Um, You know, I have really focused for a very long time. It goes back to my reason of, of why I've been doing what I do on this idea of how do we speed up the process of evidence generation. Um, the evidence generation solutions of the future, I sincerely believe are going to be more continuous rather than cross-sectional clinical trials where we evaluate a medical product. And when I say a medical product, I mean a, a drug, a medical device, A medical device could be also software as a medical device as produced by um, digital therapeutics or or digital health companies. Uh, It could be a vaccine or even could be either kind of healthcare delivery intervention. And I think that the development of clinical evidence around those medical products is going to be much more continuous than the cross-sectional and formulaic clinical trials of the last several decades. If that's true, then we're going to need to build Evidence generation solutions that allow for the continuous evaluation of medical products across their life cycle. In order to do that, at Verily, we have really focused on several things. First of all, how do we build longitudinal data sets that are of adequate quality and um, depth and breadth to be able to evaluate medical products across their life cycles and meet needs of regulators? And then how do we ultimately build clinical studies and evidence generation output from there? In 2022 and 2023, we focused on building the component elements. These include software in the clinical research workflow, so electronic consenting and electronic patient-reported outcome solutions, as well as software for clinical trial sites, It also includes solutions that allow for remote participant or patient monitoring, such as a watch with time that allows for time series data so that we can get digital biomarkers. For example, digital evidence of changes in movement or changes in sleep includes building longitudinal data sets that combine, for example, passively collected data like that that comes from the electronic health record with intentionally and prospectively collected data, such as patient-reported outcomes, and finally includes developing solutions that really focus on patient and participant experience, meeting people where they are, recruiting people into clinical studies, and engaging them across time. And the theory, or the thesis, is that by putting these core components together in a variety of different ways, we can actually now build the clinical trials and evidence-generation solutions of the future. So, for example, randomized registry studies where a person might be in a, a registry about heart failure, and then now there's the goal of studying a new solution, whether that's a medical device or a digital therapeutic or a new medicine and randomizing patients in that registry to either receiving that new treatment or standard, usual standard of care
0: that's fascinating watching how things evolve within verily and now seeing this broad scope and this bold vision which is so important i mean that's really fascinating and and we are you know expecting to see what what next is coming out of verily best of luck you know with this journey and going back to the regulatory angle, I mean, you were essentially second in command in the FDA as the principal deputy commissioner, and you've done some very important work over there around the notion of, of how to generate this evidence and how to, you know, survey, create the surveillance. What are the kind of like major themes you're um, seeing coming out of the FDA that might affect digital health companies? how should digital companies deal with this to some extent may I say a bit uncertainty about the regulatory environment? How do you see that?
1: Such an interesting and important question. And you know, as, as I think about this digital health space, um, I'm going to really focus, um, on just a conversation around software as a medical device, because I think it is pretty representative of the digital health space. And when I think of software as a medical device, um, especially artificial intelligence based um, solutions. These can be in vitro diagnostic based medical devices. Um, they are intended, it, 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 it can be also, for example, digital therapeutics, where the goal is to run this particular software product on general purpose or sort of non-medical purpose um, computing platforms. And the other interesting thing about software as a medical device is that they can be used um, in combination with other products. So for example, a digital therapeutic that is used together with a medicine to take better care of patients with um, major depressive disorder. And you know, I think this is a you know evolving space. Uh, there has been a um, set of consistent definitions that I, I think were um, really classified and standardized internationally, approximately 2014, that helped to categorize um, potential CMD products into um, the really sort of risk categories that help us understand. What level of evidence is going to be required in order to get this particular product to market? But the truth is, um, right now, we're still in this evolving landscape of exactly how to move from the traditional regulated landscape of medical devices to something that um, allows for the more flexible evaluation of digital therapeutic or digital interventions that may be updating across time. Um, In fact, we have seen a plethora and a rapidly increasing number of AI and ML-based medical devices um, uh, coming in front of FDA, especially in the last two years, and also with some of the flexibilities made possible in the pandemic. And that's starting to teach us what regulations in the future might look like. And um, a lot of us were watching the pre-certification program, thinking that was going to point the way. Maybe it didn't you know, help us as much as we wanted it to. But, um, you know, I think that between pre-cert and some of the work um, that came out of the FDA in early 2021, what we're seeing now is some consistent, uh, you know, sort of directions that I think that as a digital health space, we can look to. Um, So the first is this idea of classification of risk. And, really that classification of risk, including both the healthcare situation or condition being treated, as well as um, what the intention of the medical product is and whether or not there's going to be a medical professional adjudicating output before it's uh, applied. So, so one is classification of risk is going to continue to be very important, I think. Um, the The second is that there's therefore going to be tailored regulatory frameworks that continue to go along with that classification of risk. You've seen from FDA the expectation of good machine learning practice, GMLP, and we're going to see that, I think, continue. Um, We're also going to see continued focus, and I think amplification of patient-centered approaches to incorporate transparency of the users. Remember that, you know, real people, Patients and often their caregivers are using these interventions in their own lives. Think about, for example, what's happened in the in the a situation of glucometers and continuous eva- um, evaluation and, and interventions in the diabetes space. And that's often children and their parents. And so, being able to have really solid user design is going to continue to be important there. Um, there's going to need to be continuous evaluation of these medical products across their life cycle, especially when algorithms are embedded that can change and update across time, hence Verily's focus on continuous evidence generation. And then there's going to be um, a continuous evaluation of the risk of bias, both in the development of the products and also whether or not um, bias is perpetrated or persists because of um, the development of the products. I think that's going to be sort of another big area of focus. So as I look towards the future, I think this space is changing. I think that as anybody who's working in this space, it is prudent to pay attention to new documents and and observations coming out from FDA as well as other regulators around the world. And the other thing that I would do is um, remember to ask questions and to interact with regulators early. um, And um, don't be afraid to contact, uh, for example, the email address that FDA provides um, uh, early and often in order to figure out uh, the direction that you need to go.
0: I think, I mean, when we work with early stage companies and even with entrepreneurs who are just considering an idea, one of the notions we try to convey is exactly what you just shared. I think it, it is never too early to think about your regulatory pathway and also i mean your go-to-market reimbursement and so on i mean there are different elements that if you wait with and then just face with them after you started developing things you might discover that you developed the wrong thing mm-hmm. and it will be you know costly and and in in certain situations just hamper the entire experience of, of you know building this company so i think this is a great great advice which i can only emphasize um think about the regulation, especially in this changing environment. And 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 also I, I would add that seeing the FDA's approach regarding creating more opportunities for AI-based products to enter the marketplace and then maybe using real-world evidence to understand to better understand the notion of continuous evidence and so on. And these waivers which you alluded to, to just for our listeners, the pre-certification program was essentially vetting the company on the company level and not on the product level. So once company is vetted, a certain category of products will receive. And please correct me if I'm mistaken. Will receive the 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 clearance from the FDA. And I think Verily was one of the companies who was, was included in the com- in the program. If I'm not mistaken.
1: Pre-certification, not necessarily clearance itself. Yes. 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 The, mm-hmm.
0: pre, the pre-certification. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And regarding another comment you've made, which I feel obliged to kind of like emphasize, is around the notion of what does your product intended to do? I mean, we hear from a lot of decision support systems that they are we are waived. We are not providing any recommendation. This is just information. But still, someone will change his mind based on your product. So essentially, you might be... Um, forced or, or or you might need to speak with the FDA about your product. It's not waived. So think about the, the real intent to use with your product might be another advice. And, and again, please correct me if I'm mistaken, that people might uh, consider.
1: 100% agree.
0: 100%. Okay. Terrific. Um, so maybe, I mean, going a step backwards and, and kind of like with this bird's eye view from a person who's been in such significant roles in different parts of the industry. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to have your thoughts about kind of like the, the digital health landscape right now. We see with what's going on in the, in the general market and companies um, going to very not positive directions. I mean, different types of companies where people were fairly optimistic and now they're a bit less about them how do you see this digital health market evolving? Is it really digital health? Maybe it's just healthcare.
1: Yeah, so interesting. Um, it's, it, you know, I have a lot of different points of view on this. And I think that as I think about how I see this evolving, um, one thing is I've sort of been surprised at um, some of the digital health companies that have tried to develop products and... You know, even price them and and think about them as if they are a replacement product for medicines, and 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 um, sort of solve for the product landscape in that way for that specific product. And in fact, um, you know, digital health products are developed differently, have different regulatory pathways, are taken up differently by patients and their families, and um, you know, leveraging a biopharma point of view, I I think perhaps is a mental model that may seem like it makes sense, but I think has been hurting some of these digital health companies. I I would say the second thing is that um, many times I see digital health companies who are developing their products and often are spectacular engineers and they don't realize the core contribution that this this particular digital health product could make to the landscape of data that's going to allow for um, better monitoring and evaluation of healthcare writ large. And the miss then becomes not realizing how this particular product could both contribute to the greater system of data in a way that actually is a different value stream for the product, maybe a secondary or parallel value stream, that the data from the digital health product can be used to evaluate the product itself across the life cycle of the product. So that oftentimes, in my observation, is a miss from digital health companies around the data itself, because often it's an engineering and software build without as much core understanding about healthcare data. The last thing I would say is that if there is going to be more of a focus on healthcare data from digital health companies, then it is also important that digital health companies realize that not all healthcare data is created equal. And so when they try and mash up, for example, time series data from a sensor together with EHR data, these data sets have very different properties. And you have to understand the properties of the data sets and how they can be used together or not in order for this um, to work well. And so those are just some things that I have observed Because I think the meta trend um, that we started with um, as it related to clinical evidence generation actually is made better because of digital health. It is very important for digital health and the evaluation of those products themselves. And and I think it's all mutually reinforcing. So as I watch this space, um, I'm always sort of curious to see how this story is going to start to play out, um, especially as we move from thinking of digital health products as a replacement product for medicines and rather than in its own category itself, the system of underlying data and the importance of FGEN. So there you go. That would be the way, the way I'd think about it.
0: <laughs> Terrific. And and maybe as a final question and pursuant to the last one, can you think about, I don't know, one or two areas where you see opportunities or one or two areas where you would recommend people to shy away from?
1: Um. So I, I think you can guess that one of the places that I see incredible opportunity is the development of digital health products that simultaneously contribute to the overall system of data. An example of this at Verily is that um, we are the, uh, the medical device manufacturer um, and the group that invented the watch that is the watch that just um, received FDA clearance with iRhythm.
0: Around atrial fibrillation.
1: Yes, around atrial fibrillation. And at the same time, that same device, that same watch, is our study watch for our clinical evidence generation um, platform. And the ability to leverage that same device, both as a medical-grade product used commercially, as well as now a research product, really now has dual implication and then can become mutually reinforcing. And I think this is one of the opportunities all the way across the digital health um, space and, and, and the medical device space. Um, And so that would be an example of one of the great opportunities. Um, And then, you know, I think that the pitfalls have sort of been a thread we've talked about um, over our time together. and, And that's that, Not paying attention to the data that you're going to need for evaluation of your product, as well as how to evaluate your product efficiently, both in its beginning stages and across time are going to be really important because if you can build that in to your product evaluation across time, it's an opportunity, not a pitfall. But most um, companies that I observe um, have not been thinking it.
0: crystal clear. Okay, Dr. Amy Abernathy, a super interesting conversation. Again, it's been a true pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks for having me. It was terrific.
0: In this episode, we heard from Dr. Abernathy about Google's and Verily's activities within healthcare. Just to note that within our blog, you can find a long recent piece about the large tech and their attempts in healthcare and how these attempts are starting to be more comprehensive and definitely worth watching. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and gained some real value from it. And we would love to have your thoughts, feedback and anything else. Links are available in the description. See you next time.